Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Jesus, name above all names, I worship you. Jesus, worthy to be praised, I worship you. Hi everybody, I'm Jordan Pine. And I'm Andy Balog. Welcome to another episode of 20-Minute Bible Studies. Andy, today I want to discuss a conversation I had on Facebook with a brother in Christ named Russ. The topic was baptism, and Russ was arguing that baptism is necessary for salvation. Salvation is incomplete without it, is basically his argument. And I'll get to that in a moment, but it isn't the main point for today. The main point is the question that that conversation raised, which is, how does salvation happen? Well, Jordan, I assume you mean salvation of the Spirit or salvation from hell, what we call the gift. Of course, as opposed to salvation of the soul or salvation into the millennial kingdom. Right. So where and when does that happen? Does it happen in the heart with a feeling, in the mind with a concept? Um, Do you have to confess with your mouth for it to be real? Or perhaps demonstrate that it's real by being baptized as Brother Russ believes? Those are the questions. Really good questions, Jordan. Let's start by listening to the Word of God. Now, the first verse we're going to hear is one every Christian knows by heart. But the verses that follow are very important as well. A reading from the Gospel of John. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. That was John chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. Hopefully, read correctly. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. As always, let's start with the SPACE method to orient ourselves. SPACE is an acronym and a Bible study tool that we created that reminds us to consider the SP, speaker, A, audience, and C, context of a Bible reading before we attempt an E, explanation. So the speaker is Jesus, of course. And the audience and context are really interesting here because many times we forget to whom Jesus was speaking in John 3.16. It's it's a verse that's that's repeated and cited, and we, we see it everywhere, and we tend to think of it as being spoken to the world, which of course, you know, the Bible does function on that level. But, you know, to get into the specifics of it, Jesus wasn't really speaking publicly to the world from the top of a mountain or a hill, as he did during the Sermon on the Mount. He was speaking privately to a teacher of the Jews at night, a man named Nicodemus. Why is that important, Andy? Well, this is critical to understand. And and for those of you who know our ministry, who've been listening for 
maybe recently or for many years, we try to focus on all of our and support all of our beliefs and all of our points on scripture. So according to you know the space method, we see that the speaker obviously is Jesus Christ. He is speaking John 3.16. And we know that the audience here happens to be Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is a leader of the Pharisees. And obviously he's one that exercises faith because he's interested in, even though he was ashamed or maybe afraid of letting all of the Pharisees know that he was seeking Jesus, he still made the effort to come see him. And it was Jesus knowing his heart why he came. You know, and then of course you could go back and, and read the entire chapter three, and we recommend that if you haven't, so you could understand fully the context. So, you know, to answer your question, Jordan, it's important to know that Nicodemus was one who exercised faith. So, in a sense, what we see here is that though the cross hadn't occurred yet, he was one who historically exercised faith, meaning that he believed in Jesus to be the Messiah. Right. And, you know, we also talk about how the message to the Jews was slightly different than the message to the Gentiles, just because, you know, and and I got into this recently in another conversation, it's always important to keep that in mind because there are nuances. You know, the Jews already knew God. They were already, you know, of the saved people or God's children. So when Jesus came on the scene, his message was specifically only to them, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So, when he, when he says things to a, a Jew, particularly a teacher of the Jews, it's going to have a slightly different uh, nuance to it than, than, for example, the Apostle Paul later speaking to Gentiles who were pagans before that and didn't really know God. So you're going to find all these little things that it's really important to pay attention to the audience. And also, there's this really fascinating conversation that happens between Jesus and Nicodemus about um, the kingdom. It, it's a subtext thing, and we've talked about it before. But, uh, you know, it's seeing the kingdom versus entering the kingdom. So even within this context, and we'll get into it, there is a, um, there's a difference, you know, just in those two words, you know, to be born again, to see the kingdom, and then to be born of, of, again and of water and the spirit to enter the kingdom. So that's kind of where we're headed with this. And that's why all these little details are important. Yeah, chapter three, again, is loaded with stuff. So we absolutely recommend now that you're you're listening to our ministry and you're understanding and starting to see the kingdom truths, please go back and reread, you know, probably one of the most famous chapters of, of known to man, which is John chapter three. And then you'll see that God will reveal deeper things that were always there that, you know, most of us in the past just kind of glanced over and didn't realize. Okay. So now that we've oriented ourselves with the space method, um, let's get into the meat of this. Now, this is what I wrote to brother Russ. I said, you know, notice Jesus does not mention baptism here in John three sixteen to 18. If salvation is incomplete without baptism, don't you think he would have mentioned it in this important conversation with Nicodemus? The rest of the chapter I wrote is also interesting. Listen to what even John the baptizer, the Baptist or the baptizer, says in verse 36. He says, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And again, I want to emphasize that word, see. And then I finish by saying, again, there is no mention of baptism being necessary to see life or avoid the wrath of God. So I kind of hit Brother Russ with that just to make him think about it. Well, unfortunately, to use these words, but let's, let us let me play devil's advocate here, Jordan. And, you know, and God bless Russ. I mean, obviously, this is something that he was taught and he studied, and he's found scripture to support this belief. And 
and that's something that's comforted him throughout his life. And, and, you know, again, I believe that most of us have been in that position who at one point or another believed that baptism was a requirement for everlasting life. And going back to what I was saying, playing devil's advocate to the scripture that you brought out in verse 36, it does say who, who he who believes in the son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the son will not see life. And the key word there I want to focus on for, for his behalf, for us's behalf is the word obey. And I would say that obey is included in that is going to be works. And of course, what most people, you know, of course, now I'm going to take the apologetical view. They're going to say, well, see, it's not just beliefs. That's just part of it. It also has to include, you know, your works. In other words, you judge a tree by its fruit or, you know, James might say, you know, tell me about your faith and then, but show me your works. Then I know that your faith is real. So I get it. I get it. But it goes deeper than that. And that's what Jordan and I want to share with you, Ross, and everybody else out there who might be confused about this topic. You know, to make a point here, I want to just bring up Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was born God's son. He was 100% God and 100% man. For 30 years, was God. But only he knew that. Yes, Mary had it in her heart that this was the Messiah. But it was he and only he that understood that the balance of the world was in the, basically in the palm of his hands. Yet it wasn't until he was 30 and got baptized that he began his ministry. So the key here to understand is not that Jesus wasn't saved you know, until he got baptized. Remember, he set the standard for us. No, it's that the beginning of his ministry was at the point of baptism. And of course, that's why, that's why most Christians today, evangelical Christians, believe that it's not until a child is maybe you know, of age, 8, 9, 10, 11, 13, whatever it might be, where he can begin serving in some capacity the Lord Jesus Christ as when, you know, that's like the first act that we could, that we could add to our repertoire as far as a work we did for the furtherments of the gospel, meaning baptism. Right. The first act of obedience is uh, how Pastor Whipple, the founder of our ministry, described it. You know, once you're saved, that's the first act of obedience. But I, I think you really nailed it, you know, you, uh, when you brought up verse 36, because, you know, once I get past, uh, uh, on social media, we tend to just have these surface debates and people go back and forth. And I, I, I've engaged in a few of them, you know, not angrily, but, you know, you, you respond to one specific point. Is baptism, are you saved without baptism or not? And, and we did, that, did have that exchange. But, you know, things got really interesting, Andy, when I, when I took Russ's challenge to heart and I went deeper. And it is that verse that sort of troubled me, you know. Does that word, you know, he who does not obey the Son will not see life, does obey imply baptism or some other work of obedience is necessary, you know, to, for salvation? That, and that led to the core question of today, which is, how does salvation actually happen? I started thinking about that. And, you know, this led me to study the original Greek. Yes, Jordan, I think it's, it's very critical that your job and my job, obviously, is to be able to go in and study the, the Greek, the Hebrew, the Aramaic. So that we could do, you know, a little bit of the grunt work, so that our listeners and and also our listeners who are also teachers and leaders can unlearn from that and pass that on as well. Is that the English translation is not going to give us a, a full conveyance of what the Lord Jesus Christ's purpose and meanings were? 
And I believe in my heart, as some of you might know, the Greek language is a, is a much more detailed and complicated language. There's little nuances in the Greek that the English just doesn't bring forth. And, you know, I mean, if you're a Greek, God bless you, that's amazing. But, you know, we speak English, so we have to do our due diligence and research and do what we can. And, you know, that being said, what we find is that, you know, when we, for instance, going back to verse 36, you know, we, I mean, and I'm going to read that again and just kind of point it out in the English where you can kind of draw lines here. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life. So right there we see eternal life, if you believe, life, just the word life, if you obey, which is belief plus works, okay? So that being said, when you go into the Greek, we learn details, more details of what Jesus really wants to tell us. And another thing I wanted to mention here is just to keep in mind, our listeners to keep in mind, I think we need to take our focus away from what, but where. In other words, it's not about what we need to do. I think it's more about where we want to go. Because the subject for he who believes is eternal life or everlasting life. And the subject to the second part of that verse is not eternal life, but it's the word life. And that's and that specifically is speaking of the the millennial life during the kingdom age when Jesus Christ will come back to rule and reign on this earth for 1,000 years. So in order for us to attain to that, it's more than just God calling us from the foundations of the earth and we accept that call. No, it also requires works on our behalf on a daily basis so that we can attain to life. Yeah, Andy, exactly what you said, you know, in terms of breaking down this verse. And then it gets really fascinating when you start to look at the words believes and obey, right? So I mean, I'm a bit of a word nerd, so I'm going to indulge a little bit here and and taking us deeper into these these particular words because one is actually a negative form of the other. It doesn't come across that way in English, but if you go down to the root word here, it's the root word is is pytho, and what is pytho? Well, what's actually the wrong question? It's who. You know, Greeks believed in gods and goddesses who were associated with various human passions and qualities. So, for example, a quick quiz, Andy. Athena was the goddess of, or for the audience too, Athena was the goddess of? Wisdom. Wisdom, correct. How about Aphrodite? Love. Love, exactly. Well, it turns out that Pytho was also a goddess, the goddess of persuasion. So when the Greeks wanted to express this idea of persuasion, they used words that were the form of Pytho's name, which is how we got the words in verse 36. So what that means, after I did this study, you know, and we often do this on, on 20-minute Bible studies, once you kind of get the flavor of a word, you can, you can replace it with something that sounds a little better or as, as a little closer approximation in English. So if you do a more literal translation and kind of rewrite that verse, it actually says something like, he who is persuaded by the Son has eternal life, but he who is not persuaded by the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So that led me to the conclusion that the persuasion of the mind is really the key to the salvation of the spirit. Yeah, great points, Jordan. Really great points. You know, I also want to speak a little bit about the word repent. And, you know, believe it or not, it has a very similar meaning. And that meaning is to change one's mind. You know, repent was the message of both 
John the Baptist and Jesus, because of course, he they were both speaking to Israel, who, as we know historically, when you compare Israel to the rest of the world, they were the ones who were saved or safe because they were actually trying as a nation to be obedient to God's word and God's law, which was received by Moses and then passed down through the Pharisees. And the message was to the nation of Israel, their message, John the Baptist and Jesus, so that they would change their mind and turn back for the kingdom of God was at hand. And the literal, actually the literal translation of repent means to walk back, you know? So, you know, just a little side note here, it's it's impossible to tell someone who's never accepted Jesus as their savior, or for that matter, might not even have known Jesus in a personal way, to tell them, you need to go back. You know, how do you tell somebody who's never been there to begin with to go back? Where are they going back to? No, this message of repentance is is one of telling someone who was at one point at home, in the right place, on the right track, and for whatever reason, they deviated, whether it was from their own mistakes or from leadership's mistakes. But whatever the case might be, God is giving an opportunity for individuals in the nation of Israel to accept the call, heed the call, and then to get back on track. And that was, before the cross, was the main message of Jesus Christ, especially during the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, no, it's critical. And, you know, but going back to the changing of the mind, I think that's the the biggest realization from the breakdown of these verses. You know, that salvation actually occurs in the mind. One must be persuaded and change one's mind away from the beliefs of a natural man. And as you're saying with Israel, it was a corruption of the mind. But with the with the lost world, with the Gentiles, they had to change their mind away from a complete um, living in nature, uh, being the natural man that doesn't even recognize God. And, you know, in English, we call the mind the psyche sometimes, as in psychology. And in New Testament Greek, that's very true to the word because psyche is suke. And suke in English Bibles is often translated as soul. So if you want to get down to the, to the real technical detail of it, where does salvation happen? The question for today, it happens in the soul, not the body, which is why insisting baptism, which is the immersion of the body, is necessary for salvation, is ultimately incorrect. And then adding to that, it's important to understand how that process happens. So is this even an active process or is it a passive process, Andy? Well, when we're speaking of salvation itself and how baptism is actually not a part of it, again, it's just, it could be included, but there's many people throughout history that were not water baptized that we know for a fact that especially, you know, we think of the old, you know, the story of the man in, in jail or the man in a hospital on his deathbed and gets his last rites and decides who's to say he doesn't accept Jesus as their savior. Do, does, does God change his mind? Is a God one who's, you know, not going to follow his word to the T, cross every T and dot every I? No, of course not. So you have to eliminate, you know, the, the, because of who, how we know God, that, that God changes for man's condition. So, you know, to ask, to answer your question, I believe it's active. I believe it's something that when it comes to the soul, it's something that actively has to be consistently done, you know, and that's why baptism is a work, one of many things that we need to be able to get our soul saved. Again, different from the spirit. Right. But then it's also, and then there's no right answer to this question. It's just a thought question, really, because 
it's also passive in the sense that we yield to God. And, and that, you know, the ongoing process of sanctification, what we call salvation of the soul, which is ongoing through your whole life, that, that is both active and passive in the sense of, we, you know, we're doing it actively, but it's, it's passively Christ working in us, as we talked about in, in one of our previous episodes. And then that, that kind of raised the question for me, Andy, you know, the changing of the mind thing. So if you're, if you're a lost man, do you really even change your mind and through your own uh, effort say, oh, you know what, uh, I, rational, I rationally thought about this and I believe in Jesus? Or is God changing the mind for us? You know, it gets into the whole predestination conversation and also some of the deeper, um, perhaps often disturbing things we read in the Bible where like, God hardened Pharaoh's heart and mind you know, against Israel. So you get into these sort of much deeper questions about what's actually going on, because we know that our own efforts are wholly insufficient for salvation. Yeah, Jordan, um, great question and very important points. And I will just start by saying that you and I are Bereans at heart, right? So for those of you who don't know, never, you know, might've heard that term and doesn't know what that means. It's basically Jordan and I Basically, we stand, our doctrine stands on scripture. If it's not in the Bible, we don't take it to heart. We consider it, but we don't take it to heart. But if it's scriptural, and if you study and prove scripture upon scripture and then build your doctrine on that, we're absolutely going to support that. And that's something that Jordan and I, you know, you know, we can't debate what God says. And it eliminates, you know, any type of objectivity. And and subjectivity debate because it's it's not us you're you know that we're trying to prove what we believe no we're we're trying to glorify God and do our best to be able to transliterate the points that God wants to to bring out for everyone. So that being said, Jordan and I strictly like to stand on Scripture. Romans does an amazing job. I mean, I, I, the perfect job actually of explaining predestination. You know, Jordan, you mentioned, you alluded to Pharaoh, and you spoke about how God hardened Pharaoh's heart purposefully so that he would be used as the pawn in God's plan. You know, we've got we've to remember key points if we're going to build our doctrine. And, and key points is, is basically can only be taken from Scripture. And that being said, we know, I think all Christians must believe that God is all-knowing. He is completely omniscient so that there was no mistake when Lucifer became Satan. You know, it's like the ultimate scary point to talk about, right? Did God know about that? Did God make a mistake? Absolutely not zero. Everything is planned. So if, if good and evil can be decided upon before man was even created, then absolutely we must believe that God predestined everything. And until next time, we leave you with the words of the Apostle Paul. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Stay blessed. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Don't forget to visit our website at 20mbs.org. That's 20mbs, as in Minute Bible Studies, dot O-R-G. Our website also has a free archive of all lessons, links to our Facebook account and discussion forums. You can sign up to receive emails when we upload a new Bible study, all kinds of good things. So be sure to visit us at 20mbs.org.
Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple and to the Abundant Life Worship Center for the music for our show. I'm Steve Zioli. Until next time, may the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I once was lost, I once was lost, but now I'm found. A hopeless game, an empty space, if not for grace. Mysteries of the Kingdom, Incorporated.